welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Hello, welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I have Nicoletta on again. Yes. How are you? I am great. How are you, Jen? Great. And you're Nicoletta Morales, and, and people can't see that, uh, I don't think, on the recording, but your website is your name. It's nicolettamorales.blogspot.com, correct? Correct. Yes. And we'll have all that in the show notes. So tell us about what's going on with that. And you have a book coming up and tell us. Yay. So happy to be back since uh, last time we chatted. Um, I have a new update. I'm working on a book. It's not finished yet. It's in the process of making, but um, it will be published in the summer by Rose Gold Publishing. And it's called, it's a memoir. It's called My Life, my life is a Movie You Don't Want to Miss. And it's about my life story and the chapters and cycles of each part of my life, which seems just like a movie with changing sceneries and scenes and seasons. <laughs> so it's very exciting. And there will be a gala in the fall, October 9th, um, where I'll be presenting my book uh, with other authors from Rose Gold Publishing. So that's exciting. So that's October 9th, 2020 with yes. Rose Gold Publishing. Okay. And we'll have to add some of that to the, to the show notes later on, but that's so exciting. I'm so proud of you doing that. Thank you. It's, it's very exciting and nerve wracking at the same time because I have to be vulnerable and naked at the same time with ex exposing a lot of parts of my life that many people don't even know about my parents and so forth. So, um, but, but it is exciting. Hope people will like it and learn and, and get inspired or whatever from the book. And then I also went to the Oscars again for the second time. <laughs> uh, but I did it last year. I know we talked and I did it again this year and it was great. And then life happened. Corona right after the Oscars um, life yeah. changed so uh, that's that's been life afterwards <laughs> well and this but I mean by the this will not air on the day that we're taping it but also if people listen to it later when were the Oscars what what month the Oscars were in February okay. um, they were the beginning of February and funny enough right after I came back from the Oscars I caught something I didn't, um, I didn't get tested though at the time because it was just starting, yeah. uh, but it lasted for about two weeks and my whole body was hurting. It just seemed like the coronavirus symptoms. Uh, it was really bad, but I survived it. And I took a picture with Tom Hanks yes, that night, that night. And funny enough, he got Corona later. So I'm yep. thinking, did he give me something? Did I give him <laughs> something? I don't know, <laughs> but we both got something at the end. Yeah. <laughs> So that was yeah, that was, and that's a big shift. That was a big shift. Well, at least you got there yes. first. So that was <laughs> yeah. exciting. That was, was it better exciting. the second time around? Or? It, I wouldn't say it was better. It was different. Yeah. And I was able to meet big celebrities and like Billie Eilish, Brad Pitt, Elton John, Renee Zellweger. So it was fun and exciting. And, um, and I had a better outfit because it was designed custom designed for me this time by Mario and Jorge here from Chicago, but they designed for Miss Universe and yeah. uh, Miss Mexico and the dress was awesome and they worked day and night to, uh, to do it for me. So that was very exciting and it was better in that sense that I had a custom designed dress. <laughs> All right. So you have the blog and you, um, I think the, the title of your book is 
awesome considering I know a bunch about you and people can look at our first interview here, but uh, I, I love the movie reference in the book title. <laughs> That's very fitting. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. So true. So now you're taking over. You're going to hijack this podcast interview. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to switch it around <laughs> since this is my job anyway, asking a bunch of questions. And uh, actually what I want to talk to you about today, and I think a lot of listeners would, um, you know, it's, it's what's happening. It's Corona, it's the quarantine and so forth. And so, you know, people are looking for that um, inspiring content and what people are doing. Um, so for me, I was laid off twice. Uh, I was laid off from one of my gigs and my main job. So it's been really tough for me in that sense, financially. So how has it been for you um, during when it all started and we got quarantined and life kind of ended on a social note and began inside, inside our house? Um, in it didn't, well, there's a lot to the answer that question, but basically my daughter had a baby and I flew to San Antonio, uh, December 31st and I got to spend that week and there was no Corona and life. That was awesome. It was such a gift. It was great timing. Now that we know what has happened, you know, if she had been due later, I would have not been able to do that. So I think for me, I'm huge into being grateful into gratitude. And so when I look at the, if you think about Corona starting Mar the beginning of March of 2020, um, the couple months that, that leading up to that, I'm super grateful. I also worked for a big chunk, about eight months of 2019. And then the first two months of 2020, I work for a company out of Australia called um, Virulani. I work from home and I have for four years. So for me, all yeah. of you guys online, I'm like, welcome to my party. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. So uh, for work, nothing changed for me, except this did not have anything to do with Corona. Although I think as time goes on, we'll see that things were connected that we didn't realize. And that job ended and it didn't end, it ended because the company is a newer company and um, the manufacturing and the marketing and the website were all taking longer. So I had a super integral job in the beginning with the company that was, we were planning on continuing that indefinitely, but because things were taking longer, my, that job ended. And interestingly enough, the Chinese New Year mm -hmm. goes, right? So the Chinese New Year happens until the end of February. So like the whole month of February, they're right. off. So our manufacturing was out of China. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> there's a guy wow. from France that's lived there for 10 years and he runs a manufacturing company in China. And so the interesting thing is that we shut down or slowed down because mm -hmm. of that Chinese New Year for a month. And before, right when people were coming back to work from that New Year, Corona hit. So, I mean, it'll be interesting as time goes on to see what unfolds because you don't get, we don't have the whole story, I don't think, um, and how connected things are and when it actually began. 
Right. So could that have potentially been impacting that company earlier than we thought and slowing things down? Yes. Um, it was a fantastic, it is a fantastic company. It was a job that I loved. And I'm hoping that once we get through this, I'll gear back up. But they weren't my only, the only company that I worked for. So I worked for a publishing company. I am the uh, project manager. So there's an editor and there's a marketing person and I'm the one in the middle that talks with mm -hmm. the, the person writing the book, the author and getting everyone connected and making sure all the meetings are happening and we're on track. And I love that. I, I wrote my book four years ago and my, I was like, I want to help everybody write a book. And so I, you know, in a, in a roundabout different way than I thought four years ago, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do back then. And now it seems the perfect timing. For and it's a perfect time. Book. Right. And so I was already on board and working with them, but now it's like, well, if you're not working and you have time, then this is a great time to do it. So I've actually gotten busier work-wise wow. for that. So Corona hasn't slowed me down or stopped me or changed almost anything as far as work goes. And as far as online, I'm, that's where I live and work and breathe is online. The difference is that I'm homeschooling my, and I was already, my daughter who's a senior in high school was online schooling this year for the whole year she has been. So that wasn't a change. And as a senior in high school, when you're turning 18, she has to be self-driven and self-motivated. I'm not sitting down teaching calculus. So that didn't change. My 10 year old in fourth grade though, she is now homeschooled. And I call it homeschooling because I homeschooled my kids 15 years ago, 15 to 25 years ago, I was homeschooling for that decade. And I think when you are presented with a situation, parents at home, mm -hmm. um, and you're forced to be home, you've lost income, you're stressed, your kids are there 24 seven. And now guess what? You're also their teacher. That's not a positive environment to be working from. And so when, it, when we had a two week spring break, and in the last week of that spring break, they announced that we were going to stay home. So we're, we're, we've just completed, as, of, as we're recording, it's April 17th. Um, we're just done three weeks of, of online school, but she was home for two weeks prior to that. Mm -hmm. So the difference for me is I don't get a break from my 10-year-old. And not only do I not get a break from her like spring break, but I'm also responsible for educating her. And we that's have, where, that's sorry where, to stop you right yeah, go, here, but go. That's, that's where it's very important for other parents to hear what you have to say, because you're not just a mom, but you're a mom of 18 children. Yeah. So quarantined with 18 children and having to homeschool so many, I mean, how do you juggle it? I have one daughter and I'm losing my mind and I'm scratching <laughs> my head and I want to scream every day and you have 18. <laughs> I have 18, but I only have two living at home. So I have the luxury of being on the other side of raising my kids where most of them are adults now. So, I mean, again, the interesting thing is that we're a very close knit family and we have all interacted with each other. We all live, most of us live really close together. Um, so I see my kids all the time, but I don't actually have to one parent them and to educate them because they're older and parenting them once they become adults has been super fun and i've loved it it's been a lot different through this situation i'd have to say you know i wasn't friends with my kids i was their parent and as they got to be adults and moved out we that got to shift where 
it's less parenting and more friendship, but it's sort of a hybrid. Through this situation, there have been definite parenting moments of adult children. Um, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot going on. There's different situations. We're all experiencing them at the same time, but because I turned 50 this year and I've raised- Congrats. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm on the back end of raising those 18 kids. Um, I have a lot of perspective. So, you know, my, my daughter got into a car accident and it looked totally different in the Corona situation. So I was her first phone call, you know, I'm the, Oh my gosh. So I think, I think I'm, I have the blessing of being close with most of the kids, not all of them, but a good majority of them. And that's been a really great situation to see when, when the world gets stressful because we have that relationship. So that's been good. The kids that I'm not as close to or aren't as close to me, which happens, it's their choice. Mm. You know, I can, I worry about them and I keep tabs on them in the way that I'm able to. And I'm here if they need me, but it's been different. Uh, the difficulty with homeschooling for me is that I work from home. So yeah. <laughs> I you didn't lose. Shackle. Yeah, I didn't. I, and I'm not minimizing losing your job. If you lose your job in your home and you're concerned about income, especially initially, that's hugely stressful. And you're not in the environment you're used to. I actually, nothing about my work changed and I have to add on about four hours a day of homeschooling. So for me, it's been really juggling everything that I was already doing and then adding in homeschooling. And so I think the best thing you can do, it's, it's the same thing that most people, even the airlines tell you, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And we have to remember that, yeah, we're limited, but we're not, it's not obsolete. We can still do things for ourselves. Um, I had a, what did she call it? I had a friend who had a, a Zoom meeting like this and there were like seven families and we all got on one Friday night at seven and it was like, bring your own wine and show up yeah. type of party. And she called it something fun. But basically we had a Zoom drinking like visit, you know? And I just think people, what's been interesting to me is that there are a lot of places and people that have been online, but only a little bit. And you connect online, but not really, like not in an authentic way, not in a regular way. This situation has forced businesses to be online where maybe before they didn't have much of an online presence. And I think it's going to make people realize that they don't, not only will things never go back to normal, but maybe they shouldn't because we've had this opportunity to have this complete shift and people are connecting in a much more authentic, genuine, raw way now, as opposed to what we were doing before. So I really hope that the online presence stays the same when things go back to normal. And I hope that the connectedness that we feel stays the same. And that for people who are actually in the same town, you know, it used to be you're looking at your phone in line and there's people in line that you could connect with and you're not connecting with them, but you're not really doing a good job connecting online right. either. You're half-ass at everything. So now I really hope that this has given us a perspective where we have a really great appreciation and we will be more connected. I know we're in Reno, we're, we're able to still go out for walks and stuff and walk the dog. And um, there's a park with a dirt path right down the street that I've used for a long time, but now a lot of people are using it. And even in walking, although we're keeping our distant, people are actually talking to each other more than they did before. So That's people are like, hey, how are you doing today? It's good to see you. And no one ever used to talk to me on this walk or like the, that one guy that used to talk to me, you know? And now people are distanced, but connecting 
where before we were close but disconnected and i think that's exactly i just have to say this jen that's exactly the same thought that was going through my mind and head analyzing the situation is that before we were physically close yes we could hug we could touch but on the inside we were very much distant so i think the situation like you said is allowing us to get more connected on an inner spiritual level and even though we're doing it through video conferencing like in your case people are getting in touch with people they haven't been in touch for in like 10 13 years i had people i didn't even remember contact me be like hi how are you i'm like who are you so it's just that being in that environment makes people appreciate what they had before even more and yeah. take it for granted so in that sense i completely agree with you and like everything transferring on a video level even medicine telemedicine you know now it's great <laughs> i mean <laughs> the situation sucks and i don't love it and we could talk about that a lot but let's just leave it at i don't have control over the situation regardless of how i feel about it i don't have control over what's happening right now despite not having control over it there are always silver linings and i am huge about the silver lining what are the good things in it and some of the good things are connecting for me the good thing is we've talked about homeschooling this particular our youngest you know we i homeschooled a lot of the older kids and then i stopped now we've talked about it and she hated going to school every day of fourth grade this whole year one she's gained a greater appreciation of what she actually liked about school and the other thing is that it forced us to do something we've been talking about, but we didn't because we didn't have to. And it was easier to have her hate school and send her on the bus anyway. So we all have a very different perspective. And that was a silver lining for my family is that I, okay, now I get, I'm forced to do something that we've talked about doing. And she gets to really look at the situation from a different lens. And I think that that's really invaluable. There's lots of jokes about how like, now we're gonna know what women really look like because we can't dye our hair as easily. We can't get our nails yeah. done. We can't, like men's, uh, men, men aren't getting haircuts for a month. I am actually, I've been licensed as a hairdresser for years and I never let it expire. I have not been <laughs> in a, I haven't worked in a salon for like five and a half years now but I do all my kids and all my family's hair, right? I cannot even tell you how many friends I have that want to stop by and see me now. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. I need I mean, haircuts. Like, <laughs> so many people. And the thing is, is that if it's people that I've already been exposed to physically, I'm not worried about contracting anything from them. So yeah, I've been doing like five haircuts every weekend and that's fine. I mean, if I know you well enough and we're comfortable being not, not being so concerned about social distancing that I don't have a problem doing it. But, uh, but like my kids that used to go to the, it's easier to go to great clips down the street and do it real quick than schedule with me. Cause I make you schedule on my time. You know, they're all showing up. All my kids are showing up to get their hair done. So they should, because that's what I say. By the time it's over, we all going to look like Neanderthals. Like <laughs> exactly. Growing, you know, eyebrows, hair all over, you know. <sighs> Women are going to look like, you know, even obesity is going to like, you know, people are going to end up being bigger. So yeah. it's, it's, it's like people have to appreciate you for your inner beauty instead <laughs> of your outer beauty now, you know, <laughs> especially <laughs> men. <laughs> well... And, I don't know. They're not looking too great either. I'm, I mean, I'm lucky. I wear the same makeup every day. I don't do anything. I don't dye my hair, my nails. I do miss getting a manicure, but like, that's not going to change. Nobody, you're not going to walk into my house and notice I look different. You look great by the way. Like I look like exactly the same. 
I don't do anything different. So I think I've decided that like being super low maintenance as a woman is a really great plan. And I, I tell my husband, I said, remember when we met and I told you, this is as bad as it's going to get. Cause I don't do much, you know, That's I don't, not I bad. Just, right. Okay. But it's also as good as it's going to get. So like, it's good. So he's like, I'm happy. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, there's all the jokes about dating and waking up the next morning next to a woman and she doesn't look like she did at the club last right. night. Like you're yeah. like, ah, you know, yeah, I am just the same all the time, but it's, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor coming out of this. There's a lot of connectivity coming out of this. There's a lot of businesses being forced. If, if they're going to succeed, then they have to really pivot and shift gears I don't think the situation is great, but I think that that part of it is good. I think, and you know, there's going to be a lot of fallout. The stock market crashed bigger than it ever has in history. We have not seen the backlash from that. Um, the government is doing a lot of financial support plans, which are great in the short term, but are not going to help us potentially in the long term. So, I mean, there are a lot of things I think you need to be educated and make your own decisions on how you feel. Um, about them. And if we're, I don't like to use the word capitalizing, but if you are taking advantage of situations because of this situation, you need to really think as long-term as you can would be, that's my perception and my opinion, because when the virus is all cleared up and we're all able to go back to work, there's going to be other backlash from this, I think. And, and, and if we're focusing right now on this little the little part that's happening right now today, and we don't take a step back and look at the bigger picture, I think the backlash could be worse than what we're going through now. And so I have that concern. I think that people are developing skills to help with that because we're, we're learning a different way to connect and communicate and do business. I absolutely agree. There's a shift and businesses are shifting yeah. to this digital way of communicating and platforming and it's quick it's happening so quick so everybody has to adjust but yeah. it's also like you said affecting a lot of people including myself financially so i'm guessing you're probably one of the lucky ones like like you mentioned you still work that has not right. been affected in any way financially and that's great well, I mean, I went a couple months in between jobs. That's not something completely abnormal because I work from home with my own business. So I technically freelance. Um, I only work for companies that I really align with. So if, I, if I'm not really on board with what this company is doing, then I, I won't. It has to be an emotional connection to me. So I'm very invested with the people that I work with. But it's not that it did not. Um, actually my husband is an essential worker, so he kept his job. Here's the interesting thing about essential workers. One, we didn't realize who we needed to appreciate before this. Exactly. So he delivers food. Now of the two of us, he has his degree and he's drives a delivery truck and loves it and has done it for 30 years. And I didn't have the degree and I was the one always working corporate and stuff. So, I mean, it's, that's just an interesting side note, but regardless of where he came from, he has a job that he really enjoys. And he makes pretty good money and um, he drives a truck and fills food. It's not any rocket science, anything. And I can't even tell you how happy people are to see him right now. So I think I our, sh our shift needs to be, yeah. I mean, people who are where he, the places that he's going into and that he's servicing, people are using him to shop, to grocery shop. And that's, it's not a grocery store. So 
I mean, he's, he had to shift and pivot how he was doing his job and his work to support these families who may have a difficult time getting supplies in other places. So, but I think worldwide, look at the people who are considered essential and maybe thank them. Cause you know, my trash guy is still picking up my trash every day. Thank God. Cause after a month, what would that look like? Um, people are still stocking stores. Thank God they are because where would we be? We had a toilet paper crisis even when they were working. <laughs> so, I mean, I really think as far as a shift, we should really consider who is essential and why and what they do. And that medicine can go much more online. I don't know. Telemedicine, need that's I, where it's going. Man, I'm telling you, I do not need to come into the office and schedule that nope. appointment three months away. And like, why not make that easier and more streamlined? Sure. I mean, maybe it's healthier too overall, not just because of the situation, but like, let's, let's do some of those things. So, I mean, no, it didn't affect me financially as much. Having said that, I have been very on top of all of the grants, the loans, the unemployment situation issue, the Heroes Fund. I mean, as it sits now on April 17th, when we're talking, there's a lot available and that's why I'm saying, don't look at just this situation right now, today, what's happening. Think about this long-term. This situation has the potential to financially, you can actually make more. Essential workers, 60% of essential workers are working. The other 40% are not because they can make more on unemployment right now. I agree. What's sad I about that, that is that we need them. We need them working, right? Mm -hmm. But they're making more money if they don't work. So I like the Heroes Fund because that's that is supplementing the income of people who are continuing to work. So that it's basically giving them a pay raise for this year. That's one of my favorite things that's come out. The other thing is that, I mean, yes, my income hasn't been changed a whole lot this year as a whole, not tremendously, but I want to utilize every single one of those programs that I possibly can because I'm thinking about longevity. And I may be okay today, but I don't know what's going to happen in the next six months or the next year. And so really being aware of all the programs and the ability you can, not just financially, but in a lot of ways. So that's financial. Look at all those programs. And I'm of the, of the opinion that we should utilize everything we can. And I want to come out of COVID having like no debt, having my coach paid off, having like, I want to use it, that momentum to actually pay everything up. I, the other day with the stimulus check, I got my stimulus check. And I used the entire, yay, I used the entire thing. I looked at every, and, and we're pretty minimalist in everything we do. So we don't have a lot of bills. I looked at every single bill we had and figured out what I could pay in for an entire year. And I paid every single one of them for an entire year. And let me ask you for that stimulus check. Did you get a big one because you have 18 no. times 500? I just... <laughs> I mean, no. thinking that's whoa. No. Okay. So that's a great question. So actually, um, my, so Dane's daughter is his and he claims her. We file our taxes separately. So he had himself and his daughter. Okay. I have myself and I only claimed one child last year because most of my kids are adults, but she just turned 18. So she was 17 last year and it's only for kids that are 16 and under. So I got the stimulus just for me. 
the great thing is that, so I claimed two kids in 2018 and one child 2019, and they'll get their own stimulus checks. So where I maybe could decide or I could feel like, oh, I lost $500 times one or two, actually they gained $1,200 each. And they haven't gotten their stimulus checks yet, but they were both over 16, filed their own income tax return because my kids all work and we'll get their own stimulus. So my daughter needs her car fixed. And I said, you're gonna get $1,200 and you need to spend 900 of it to get your car fixed. And I wanna say thank you government for having us have our checks. And you know, even though it's not a lot, it's still good to have that, especially in these times. Yeah. And thank you for taking care of the essential workers. And thank you to your husband for doing oh, what thanks. he's doing. Yeah. And you're so right. We have to appreciate them because these were the people that are the heroes now. It's not even the celebrities. It's them, the essential workers. And yep. um, th th it's just what they're doing is incredible. But how are you and your husband feeling emotionally? I mean, a lot of people that I've talked to, even celebrities are experiencing, it's grief, basically, going through all the stages of grief. Um, and there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of processing emotion and denial and then anger and happiness it just goes comes and goes what are the emotions that you and your husband have experienced and even your kids that are staying with you um during quarantine? Uh, the, some of the, my kids have some of my kids have lost work and so i help them with their unemployment they they've come over and i've helped them process that so that there because there's a lot of stress and fear around not being able to pay your bills not being able to eat they come over for dinners more often um, and we got that taken care of so i'm really blessed by several things one i have never experienced anxiety or depression in my life personally in myself where it affected me in a negative way i'm not saying i've never been nervous or anxious about something but i've never had an anxiety attack or a bout of depression so i come from a different space in that and i think a lot of why i have not experienced that is because i did therapy and i did the work and i you know i've done energy work and therapy and meditation and yoga and lots of different modalities because i didn't want to ever be in that space i grew up with people in that space with addiction and uh, depression and anxiety that's not the space that i wanted to live my life it's not how i wanted to raise my kids so i've spent the last 30 plus years making sure that i put the oxygen mask on first and that i process those things and it doesn't mean that i'm perfect or i have no baggage it means that i have figured out ways to um minimize and streamline and deal with my baggage in a way that doesn't make me feel anxious or depressed or sad. I'm also extremely extroverted. I'm, my personality is one of the most extroverted. I think it's everybody- hard to tell. Hard yeah. to tell that you're extroverted. <laughs> so that's a new splash for me. <laughs> You hide it well, Jen. Yeah, I know, I know. Nobody knows. I will, when I do the interviews, man, I'm not the one talking, but, yeah, I, I think everybody needs to be hugged. I'm very touchy. I'm super warm and loving. I'm, I love people. They feed my energy. So for me, it was interesting four years ago when I decided to become an entrepreneur and have my business from home. And I actually, again, it's the oxygen mask on myself. I knew which networking events I've got. I don't have a lot of really close friends. I have a few very close friends and I maintain those relationships as, as best as I can. Um, I know which networking events and which people I'm around that I go to that will either um, take energy from me or 
feed my energy. And so I think in, in any time of stress, when I've had kids that have been sick, when I went through my divorce, when you go through things that are more extreme, like COVID has been, um, I just need to take a step back. I actually make lists. So I make lists of all the things that I want to do. I'm writing book two. I'm, so it reminds me to be accountable and the things that I need to do for myself. And I actually put that list up there. I like the visual of reminding. It's like an appointment with myself. I have accountability to myself. Um, I, until this happened, I was running with the same women's group for five years. We met every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. It's on my calendar. And it's not on my calendar because I'm going to forget. I be, it's on my calendar because I give myself permission to go and I'm accountable to show up. And it's a priority in my life. And so I'm very structured in how I set up my calendar in those ways, as far as what my priorities are and what I want to be accountable for. Um, so whether it's a podcast release uh, or it's time that I set aside to write the book or whatever it is, I'm very, very good at delegating my time and being really deliberate with it. And on top of that, I've done a lot of work to make sure I'm the healthiest version of myself right now. So that when things happen, I am better equipped to deal with it. So that's a preventative medicine thing. And that's what I teach in my speaking is compounding joy. So instead of, I did a lot of conflict management, stress reduction and conflict management and worked with the toughest foster kids in the system and training the parents. So I had a tremendous amount of training. And people ask me often to speak about conflict management and stress reduction. Especially now because everybody's yeah. in their house and everybody's probably on each other's nerves. Everybody needs space. There's a lot of violence probably domestic violence. I'm sure. Scenarios. So exactly. How do we prevent that? And how do you stay sane and don't fight with your husband or your kids or your parents if they're inside your home, of course? I think um, one, conflict management is like going to the emergency room. It's something that's happening that's loud and, you know, like yelling or stressful or, and it's, emer it's urgent. You have to deal with it right now. I think people do better managing conflict when they're coming from a place of more gratitude. So I have always come at it from a preventative medicine perspective, where if you're doing the things that you need to do on a regular basis to keep yourself healthy and feeling joy and gratitude, those stresses just don't bother you as much. So the biggest way to handle conflict uh, management and stress reduction is to have the right mindset before it happens. Now, if you're finding yourself in this situation and you're overwhelmed, which I completely understand because I coach people in that space, um, then we work on doing things that create that gratitude in the middle of it. And as far as conflict management, honestly, it's like parenting. I can't tell you how to parent your child. Your child's personality is different. All of mine were vastly different and you're a different personality and you parent differently. There's not an answer in how necessarily to get through conflict, except I would say a lot of what we need is space right now. And that's what a lot of us don't feel. And so that space can be setting the timer for 30 minutes and everybody doing something on their own. And if the bubble bath is what does it for you, it does it for you. It's not talking about the thing that's creating the conflict while it's happening. It's taking that breath and waiting. Uh, well, my daughter got in, it was a minor car accident, but the situation didn't end up being minor. And, um, 
you know, she didn't do anything wrong. And it was the, a totally silly thing that should, nothing should have, it shouldn't have been a big deal. And when she called me and I showed up, you know, she was having, we need to do some conflict management right there in the moment. Mm -hmm. And part of that conflict management was like, Gabby, you're fine. Your friend's fine. The car's fine. Nobody's hurt. This was something that was silly. It's going to be a pain in the ass. Right now, we're not going to talk about that. Right. right. We're not going to deal with that right now. Where's your anxiety coming from right now? That an accident occurred? That the situation is stressful? That, and you maybe you don't know. Okay, well, all I want you to do right now is sit in the backseat of the car where you are safe and taken care of, and I am here, and I just want you to breathe. That's it. Your only job right now is to breathe. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to get upset about it. Later on, I was upset about it. Later on, I let her know okay, these were the, this was the thing that I was upset about in the situation. That was not the moment. That wasn't the time. Right. So a lot of conflict management is not engaging in conflict when it's in your face. So, you know, and I think one of the most difficult things, and I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of it, but my daughter that's older in the house is a senior in high school. And yesterday she was in the kitchen and she's like, so everybody in Reno is turning on their porch lights at 820 in honor of all of the graduating seniors. That's it. That's all we get. Right. And she's just like, she's very upset. Now she is legitimately, this really sucks. And I said, you know, the worst part about it is that you're the only one that this is affecting. And she goes, <laughs> mom, stop it. <laughs> Don't do that thing. Because. Right. It does. I, and I said, right this moment, in this moment, I think we should be thankful that people are recognizing that you are not going to have a graduation ceremony and they're turning their lights on at 820 to recognize that. Because right now that's where we're at and you have to meet people where they're at. Do I think that it sucks that you're not going to graduate? She also turned 18 last week. You know, you just had your birthday and you're graduating and you're missing all of it. Every kid in the United States that's a senior in high school is going through the same thing. So, I mean, I bought her a t-shirt <laughs> that says 2020 and the zeros are toilet paper rolls. <laughs> and, and so it says class of 2020, right? The year things went to shit. And that's her. <laughs> right though. <laughs> so, I mean, that is a conflict for her. She was very emotional about how pissed she was that her graduation is everyone who remembers putting their porch light on at 820. And I'm like, well, our porch light will be on at 820. And she's like, you never turn the porch light off. <laughs> Good point. You know, but like, I'm not going to butt heads with her in that moment where I'm not going to say, you're so selfish. No, every kid who's a senior in high school, how many of that is, how many of them are there in the country? They're all going through the same thing. I'm not going to minimize how she feels. I'm not going to get into a conversation. I'm not going to discuss it with her. I'm going to say, hey, I didn't tell you earlier, but your t-shirt shipped. And then I showed her a picture of the t-shirt, you know, because, and our porch light's going to be on. No, I never turn the porch light off, but that's not the point. It's going to be on at 820. And so sometimes you have to just diffuse the situation by disengaging. Exactly. So everybody who's getting on each other's nerves and couples who are like, oh, I don't know why in the hell I married you. Like, oh my God, now we're alone and I 
Divorce I think time. <laughs> yeah, I think divorce is going to go up. I think domestic violence, I think child abuse is going to go up. I also think the pregnancy rate is going to explode. I mean, I think a lot of things are going to come of this. And all we can do, all I can say is take your only job in those moments is to breathe and disengage and wait to have the conversation later. Conflict is never resolved in the heat of the moment. Never. Well, I want to point this out, Jen, is that uh, you know, you are one of those parents that, you know, acknowledges this, tries to make better of the situation. I'm sure there's other parents who are freaking out, especially because of the high school seniors not having their prom or not having a proper graduation and, and just colleges closing. It's just a mess right now. But I just want to say this and get a little personal with you is that you have all this experience and you seem to manage everything really well. So people that don't know you might just think, oh, she's... Uh, you know, where is she getting all the information from and how come she's better and how come she knows it and I don't. And I want people to understand that you've had this experience, right, that has helped you go through life in certain cases and, and work through work on yourself and, uh, you know, have that wisdom that you're sharing with us now because you've been through a lot of things in life and I'm not sure how much you're willing to share. Oh, I'll share that. any. I'll share but anything. your life hasn't been easy. So it's not like you've always known this and it's just, you know, popping up right now. Like, oh, it's so easy. You've been through hell and back. So can you tell us, for those that don't know, what have you been through um, that has shaped you into the person you are today and sharing with us the wisdom that you have on how to perfectly manage conflict, especially in crisis? I think the first thing is don't ever think you're going to do everything perfectly. And the greatest... I've done two things that made me a really exceptional parent. And one of them was saying that I'm sorry and admitting that I didn't react well, which has happened numerous times. I think if there was anything about my personality that I could change, you know, from New England, people in New England are really loud and we use our hands a lot. And um, so I'm the yeller. If there's anything negative about my personality or parenting, and actually not in relationships, but in parenting, there's a point where I get mad and I raise my voice. But even when I'm excited or happy about something, I'm a very loud personality. And so, you know, one thing is knowing that there is no perfect. The other thing is not comparing. So you have one daughter, right? Mm. So you're a parent and I'm a yep. parent, period. When I wrote my first book, I was on an interview with someone and they had written, uh, it was a group interview. And this other woman had written 17 books. I could have taken that situation and been like, oh, I've written one. Mm -hmm. And when it came around to my turn, I said, I'm so exceptionally proud that you wrote 17 books because I've written one and I know what that takes. But here's the thing. I wrote one and you wrote 17 and you know what both of us are? We're both authors. Yes. You have one child and I have 18. You know what both of us are? Parents. End of story. There's not a comparison. I have had 18 kids and over 28 years of parenting. And why 18? I'm sorry, John, but I have to ask that question. Why 18 children? There was no reason. <laughs> why not 19 or 17? <laughs> I mean, you know Here's the thing. I didn't think I could give birth to children and I was able to get pregnant seven times and I gave birth to four. So in my mind, those were, I went through infertility, I had a hysterectomy at 33. I lost twins at 19 weeks on my last pregnancy. So I've been through infertility, miscarriages, hysterectomy. I was dead on the table during my hysterectomy. I had five blood transfusions. Excuse me. <laughs> and um, so physically I've been through a lot in my body and those four children that I gave birth to were the ones that I expected the least. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I did not think that I would be able to do that. So that was an incredible gift. And the other thing is that um, I, I did foster care and I chose it. And here's a really, an attitude that I have that I think has take, carried me through some of those tough parts. So I chose my life and I love it. And I love it because I chose it. And I think sometimes we forget that we, we chose our life, whether it was intentional or thrust upon us or whatever, you do have the ability. And if COVID's taught us anything, we have the ability to pivot and we have the ability for support and resources. And so I, I learned early on that I was not a perfect parent. Nothing existed. We're all in the same boat. It's not a comparison and I'm not going to do a great job. I have the gift of apology which I have used. And I also have asked for help. So I can have, I have all of this training. I worked with the toughest kids in the system and training the parents. And I've had girls that have had suicide attempts. And on one of those, which was pretty bad and we were in the hospital, I went from the hospital to a 10 day inpatient facility. Now I had training to take the kids from the inpatient facility and take them to my house and be able to help them. But I didn't do that with my own daughter because I knew to ask for a resource and I dropped her off. I peeled her off me, screaming, kicking, sobbing, yelling, begging me not to leave her there. And I peeled her off me and I handed her to the nurse who had to hold her down and I walked out the door. And, um, I say that because it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done and one of the best things that I've ever done. And so parenting is not easy and it's not going to be easy. And if you signed up for it to be easy, surprise, it's not. <laughs> you're but, in the wrong spot. You're in for the wrong job. <laughs> but one of the reasons that I think I have done well is that I, there's no, e there's not ego in it for me. Um, I, I know to ask for help. I have a son who is autistic and I asked for help from the time he was in kindergarten and we started realizing what the situation, you know, you don't really know what's wrong with a child. And I adopted him at two and we knew that there were a lot of issues, but from the time he was in kindergarten until the time I got him in an independent living facility where he could live a great life and he's doing really well, I used every resource I possibly could because I can't do it by myself and I, I don't have the tools or the skills and I wanted to do the best job that I could. And sometimes the best job that you can is not actually you. And it wasn't actually me every single time. And I wanted to keep myself accountable that I was doing the best job. And the way that I did that was by having people that were better at me working with autism to help me with that. And so I mean, right now there's a ton of resources available. So in this situation, what I'm going to tell you is that there's a lot more resources available. You can do therapy sessions online and there are a lot more resources financially. So once you get unemployment and stuff going in, you're probably going to be making more than you did before. I'm not minimizing the stress of that. I'm saying there are options within the stress and you, you should utilize all of them. And so asking for help and resources was one of the ways that I was a good parent because you, you can't do it all. Um, Jen, I have to say this though, yeah. you're very inspiring and I have to congratulate you for not just doing a great job as a parent, but you've overcome so many things in life and you're so resilient and strong and you just keep going and you're not complaining. You're not trying to, you know, stop life and be miserable, but you're making something out of yourself and it's amazing. I mean, I genuinely applaud you for it because I don't Thanks. know if they know, I don't know if you're willing to share yeah, but I I will. on your share. website. So I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it's public, but you've been through rape, you've been through uh -huh. uh, abuse, you've been through um, 
like yeah. you just mentioned that I didn't know kids that are trying to to uh, do suicide I'm like yeah. oh my god people jump in front of a train for smaller things in life like losing a job but you just kept going through it like okay I almost like here's the one challenge here's the next challenge but life goes on I mean that's the mentality that most of us have to have and how did you overcome it? How did you stay positive in the midst of the storm and this horrible things that happened to you? I think I didn't stay positive in the midst of the storm. As, as far as what you're talking about, I grew up like foster kids did. I wasn't in the foster care system, although I should have been. I had a younger sister that made me want to be better than who I was. And uh, although it doesn't work for any kid, you know, I wanted to try to take the fall for her. I, I wanted to insert myself to protect her. And that doesn't really ever happen well. But as a kid, you want that. Also as a kid, I mean, I was being abused and molested and uh, my father was a raging abusive alcoholic. I'm glad I didn't spend very much time with him. It was really awful. Um, my mom could have been a really good mom, but chose situations that made that impossible. So I witnessed really severe, like I thought several times my mom was probably dead behind the door. Um, I had a backpack for my sister and I under my bed for a lot of years when I was a kid. Um, if we were out like on the street, I stabbed someone in the leg once to protect us from him because he was talking to us uh, in a very pedophile way. Uh, I think you, as a kid, you don't have anything to compare it to. I, you can know that it's not right and it feels wrong and it feels bad and you're sad and you're in, but you're also in survival mode. And so, um, I had a teacher in third grade that made such a huge impact on me. She saw me, I was worth it to her. And she made such a pivotal difference to me that I knew that something different was possible. And I knew that I was worth it to someone. And that carried me through a lot of that. And then I had to do a lot of work on myself. You know, I live with my great grandmother. Uh, my mom moved my sister and I to my great grandmother's when I was right before high school. And that was when things really pivoted. And I had a lot of struggles after that. Um, like with my stomach, with my health, with getting sick. I wasn't bulimic. I had no eating disorder, but I think the stress that I had gone through as a kid up until that point just really started to take a toll on me physically. And I had to work through that stuff, um, which I did. I mean, I think I just kept persevering through that. I just, I didn't want to live my life with addiction, with violence, with depression, with anxiety, um, with people who were mean to each other. I just knew that I wanted it to be different. So my goal was to, uh, without realizing it in the beginning, it was therapy to try to kind of work through that stuff when I was in high school. When I went to college though, um, I realized that I, I had been raped and I, I was creating my own destructive patterns. And when I realized that that was happening, I decided that I could, I mean, we all have choices and I could go down a path of my own dysfunction. And I knew that that would be unhappy. And I knew that because of where I came from, or I could make a change. And I worked in my first year of college with the homeless population in that city and that was really eye-opening. We were I was raised below poverty level, but this was kind of a different perspective for me. I was uh, you know, 17 to 18 in that first college year, and I really started to see like I wasn't alone in my struggle, and there were other people, and it wasn't right. I also had my first energy work done 
that the end of my first year of uh, college, I didn't know that's what it was. I knew I was getting a massage for the first time, but something happened in that massage, a shift inside of me, like, uh, like I physically felt this shift in my own energy that made me cry. And I didn't, for years and years and years, I had no idea what it meant. I just, I thought it was the power of touch through having a massage because I'd never had a massage before that, you know, that shift that made me cry made me realize like I, I need to choose a different path. I also knew from the age of 15 that I would probably, if I was able to have kids, it would be difficult. So I had different seeds planted. I was worth it to my teacher. I knew I might not be able to have kids. I was pretty sure I'd have to go through infertility. I knew I was creating my own dysfunctional and destructive path, and I didn't want that life. Um, and so I think those seeds I kind of started piecing together and between that first and second year of college for me, I had a shift inside that I really wanted to make things different. And initially I, I relied on religion, which was great. There's nothing wrong with that innately. It, it was where I got a lot of my healing and my source of strength and faith and faith and per perseverance. A lot of it was therapists, finding a good therapist. Um, and it was just doing a lot of that internal work and knowing that I might not be able to have kids of my own and knowing that I would probably go through infertility and knowing that someone made a difference to me and I had the potential to make the difference to someone else kind of started me, all of those things together started me on a different trajectory. So I did go through infertility and I didn't think I could have kids biologically and I did do foster care. And you know, the interesting thing about the 18 kids and how that happened, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I didn't plan on having a big family. I took things one step at a time. When you get a call from foster care, they present you with information and you decide if you want to move forward. And I said no more than I said yes. So, you know, the interesting thing about that is that it could have been 35 kids <laughs> if I had said yes. But I mean, I think intuitively you can, you can use God and that the prompting of the spirit, or you can use intuition or whatever that gut feeling is for me. I just really used that gut feeling, whether or not it was a child that belonged in my home or not. And a child not belonging in my home may, it, it, I just feel like that robs somebody else of their blessings. If I take that child, cause like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to help this child. And I'm on this mission. It's robbing someone else of the blessings and it's not helping the child. So I really, really felt strongly that I should only take the kids that I felt inspired to take. And, and honestly, they helped me and changed me far more than I ever made a difference to them. I can say that with a hundred percent assurity. And it happened one situation at a time. And, you know, then I was divorced and I had 14 kids and was divorced. And my daughter, who's 28 now, actually introduced me to Dane and he had four kids and his wife had died. And I mean, again, I dated and I wasn't really interested in dating. And we've been together since the moment we met. And I did not want to date anyone when I met him. I met him because I was being fixed up with him and they'd fixed me up with other people and it hadn't gone well, you know? And so there was no rhyme and reason to the 18. Would we be open to taking other kids? Yes, but I wouldn't change my website. <laughs> it's mom of 18. I mean, I, I never decided. I decided, I knew when I was done with that chapter, I also knew that I was open to the possibility of if a certain situation presented itself and I had that same feeling that we would 
do that. And I'm with somebody who's willing to do that. And we have been presented with those situations. And honestly, they haven't been the right situations. And I, and you know, one, I totally know I, I get it. And the other one, I'm, I wasn't sure why it wasn't the right situation because I would have wanted it to be. And that was just a few months ago. So I think I just got good at taking it as it came. And I took, I took what I went through and I used it to my advantage because I could relate to these foster kids. I knew what they went through because I had gone through everything they'd been through. So oh, I have to say this, Jen, thank you for being a light to others. Thanks. Thank you for helping the world and making a change and helping foster children and helping other women. And, and you've been such a light. I mean, oh my gosh, everything you're telling me, I'm like, oh my gosh, she is such an inspiration, such a light. And in this world where there's so much darkness and negativity, yeah. you just shine like a bright star and, and it's amazing. And I know thank you is not enough for what you're doing, but it's the least I can say on my end. And especially I understand with it's not easy being a mom and, and, and you're still, you're still doing it. You're still helping foster kids. I mean, Oh my God, you like mother Teresa. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like... I'm mother Teresa who swears, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no, I'm not. I think I just admit that I'm human and I've been in situations like, like, you, you know, I was dragged in the woods and raped and it's how I lost my virginity by someone that I knew that was supposed to be giving me a ride home. That's and cool. it was horrible. Right. Um, I have a hundred percent success rate of living through the most horrible situations I've been presented with a hundred percent success rate of getting through it. That doesn't mean I handle it well every time or that getting through it is particularly comfortable or easy, but I have a hundred percent success rate as does everyone else. And I think that when you realize that you have a hundred percent success rate at getting through it and you've been through some stuff in your past, that's been difficult. It puts in perspective the fact that one, I'll have a hundred percent success rate at getting through this next situation and how well I do with that is dependent on my attitude and no one else and nothing else. And so it's doing, it's doing the work even within the situation though, if I got contacted by moms who are super overwhelmed that wanted to go through some coaching, I mean, there are things that you can start doing right now today that won't help you maybe in this exact moment, but they will start helping you in this exact moment. And you kind of have to believe in that process of building up within you um, the right attitude so that you can deal with the really tough shit better. And so um, I love that. And I have loved doing it with my teenagers and I've loved when I've screwed it up. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's all been a growing thing. And so really for me, emotionally, this hasn't been this, hasn't been an impact to me at all. I, I mean, the hardest thing for me is rearranging my schedule so that I can, I can approach online school for my fourth grader with a homeschool mentality. Like I'm not forced to do this because of this terrible situation, but I, I was given the gift of being able to do this for a period of time and I want to do it well. And so I shifted as soon as we found out, I shifted from being forced to do online school to being grateful that I have the opportunity to homeschool. And, and we, I mean, a lot of it really is a genuine shift in your attitude. Well, I know it's one hour has passed so fast. I didn't even, even realize it. And I want to thank you for having me as a coach and asking you all these questions and being able to get that information out of you so that others can listen to it, hopefully take it in, process it and apply it to their own lives 
Um, and it's been great. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I want to take a screenshot. So yeah. I could... <laughs> I've been trying to, and I couldn't get the right <laughs> oh, it's um, terrible. picture, but I want to promote it because it's been a yeah. great conversation. Yeah. Well, and we'll get it out super fast too, so that it you stays can, relevant to the yeah COVID. it is but really even outside of covid like life's gonna happen guys stuff's gonna Life happen happens. and Always we can't happens. control it yeah we can't control a lot of it so all you can control is what's coming directly from you so we gotta kind of roll with that but thank you for interviewing me Woohoo! and stay positive <laughs> that's what i say stay positive and i know life gets you but you're an example of life gets you but you gotta go and you just run through it. I mean, you know what you're going through, I, I'm sure, but for others, it's an inspirational story and it's, it's been great. It's been awesome. And I hope they take it in and apply it. That's all I can say. Awesome. And thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Nicola. Thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely.